0: encourages fellowship for sure like to take a moment to remind our little ones grades two and below that they can head off to children's church many of them already know the routine so i'm sure they are long gone for those of you that remain let us remain standing as we read the word of god this morning and we're going to be reading from the book of acts and we're going to be in chapter 17 acts chapter 17 and we're going to be starting in verse 16 and reading through to verse 21 The word of God says this. Now, while Paul was waiting with them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be proclaiming a a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is, which you are proclaiming for you are bringing some strange things to our ears and we want to know what these things mean. Now, all of the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling and hearing something new. Please be seated. Have you ever heard of Sutton's Law? I had not heard it, I'd heard what it was, but never actually heard the term Sutton's Law. Let me explain it to you for just a second. Willie Sutton, a.k.a. Willie the actor or Slick Willie, was a famous bank robber robber in the 20th century whose career lasted 40 years, and it was estimated that he stole over $2 million throughout his life as a bank robber. Sutton Law... Sutton's law comes from an alleged interaction between Willie Sutton and a, re- and a reporter. When the reporter asked Willie, why do you rob banks? Willie responded, because that's where the money is. So Sutton's law states that more often than not, the most obvious answer is the correct one. Why rob banks? Because that's where the money is. The rule also applies to the question that we want to ask today. Throughout the Christmas season, we have asked questions like, what is the church called to do? The answer being, share the gospel. How do we do it? By actually telling people the good news. And now we ask the question, where do we do it? And, as Sutton's Law would answer... It's quite simple. We go where the people are. In our passage today, we get to see Paul apply this simple principle to his ministry. And he and his entourage, went, as he and his entourage went from village to village, sharing Christ and planting churches. As we look at Acts chapter 17, we can see the steps that Paul took in order to see the gospel proclaimed. Let me show you the steps according to Acts chapter 17. It begins with Paul and his group of people going to what we would call his people. That is the people that he had most in common with. In fact, we see consistently throughout the book of Acts and with really Paul and even all of the apostles that they would constantly begin their work with the people that they had the most in common with specifically talking about the Jews as you have your book as you have your bible turned open to the book of acts chapter 17 look at the very beginning of the chapter we see these words starting in verse 2 and according to paul's custom he went to the Jews for three sabbaths and reasoned with them according to the scriptures Explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus who I am proclaiming to you, he is the Christ, that is the Messiah. There's a lot of good reason for this, they had the same worldview. They had the same life experiences. They had the same upbringing. They were were grown, they were raised in kind of the same conditions and had the same priorities and even the same flow of life as they went from from, uh, day to day and week to week. Most importantly, probably for Paul and the rest of the apostles was that they viewed Scripture in the same way. They saw the Old Testament, they saw their scriptures as authoritative and the words of God and and something to look to and seek through for truth. And Paul used these shared beliefs in order to reason through those scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah that they had all been looking for and, and longing for. Paul appealed to their past and appealed to his past and appealed to their shared past in order to gain an audience with Jews on several occasions. If we fast forward many chapters to Acts chapter 22, we read Paul as he is making a defense to the Jews say this word. See, they say these words. This is Acts 22, verse 3. He says, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, brought up in this city educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you are all today. See, when Paul went and he would go and he would tell people about Jesus, he knew that it made the most sense to actually go to the people with which he had the most in common first. He had his history, he had his knowledge, he had his similar upbringing to them. And so he went to them first knowing that there were very few hurdles that he had to jump in order to share Christ with them. In fact, he used those common things in order to kind of springboard into a gospel conversation. They both, they all knew about Moses. They all understood how the world came into to be. They all got What it meant to to know who David was and to look to the scriptures to understand who God was. And he leveraged all of that to then say, look at all the things that the Old Testament said that we can see in Jesus. And he would point that out to them so that they might believe. Believe it or not, we have people like this in our lives today. As you begin to ask yourself the question, well, who do I share Jesus with? Paul's first step to you would say, who is around you right now? Who are the people that you are surrounding yourself with? Who are the people that you have grown up with? Who are the people that share your life experiences? You grew up together. You played together as kids. You went to school together. You went to to proms and to dances together. You went to college together. You have the same experiences. You tell the same stories. Most of these people, because of their upbringing and because of their life, they have the similar or the same worldview as you do. If they grew up here in Kentucky or or, or wherever it is that you grew up, they remember the same things. Even today, I was listening as my Sunday school class was saying, well, do you remember the tornado back in 1974? I wasn't born in 1974. But most of my Sunday school class went, "Mm mm-hmm, oh yeah, mm mm-hmm. And so, and, and that's a shared experience that they started to talk about and, and relate to what has happened over the last few days. We share a similar worldview. More often than not, we have the same morals, the same beliefs in, gen- in God in general. Sometimes we have the same voting history. Most people who live around us today have some belief in God, have some belief in the afterlife, and maybe even have some sort of reverence or or appreciation for the Bible and for church, even if they've never set foot inside of one or ever cracked a Bible open. The reality is, guys, and we don't always understand this, is we are surrounded by people who share the same worldview, Vote the same way, use the same words, talk the same way, share a similar morality. And yet there has been no one in their life who has set them down and helped them put all the pieces together. Do you realize that? You probably have people in your life who who talk about God, who say things like, oh, yeah, praise the Lord. But no one has ever said, do you have a relationship with Jesus and do you even know what that means? They have pieces of the gospel. But they have never had anyone who would lovingly and patiently put all those pieces together and share Christ with them. See, we think often that, that getting into a gospel conversation with somebody means that, that, that we are starting from scratch and they have no knowledge of anything. And in order to even do that, we have to drive, travel halfway across the country or halfway across the world in order to meet a lost person to share Christ. But the reality is, is we have lost people in our lives that we don't even take the time to recognize and realize are lost. I was thinking about this just the other day as I was talking to a friend of mine and we got to, I got to, believe it or not, share Christ with somebody. They had been going through some stuff and we were having a conversation and and that conversation turned to spiritual things and I got to share Christ with them. And when it was all said and done, this person had received Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I was overjoyed and I called our mutual friend and I said, hey, guess what? This person has received Christ. And they went, really? And I was like, yeah. And he said, I figured they were a Christian. And I said, why? And, and, and he said, the person I was talking to said, well, they talk about God all the time. We can't assume. We can't assume just because they're near us and just because they talk like us and just because they use some of the same churchy words that we use, we can't assume that that means they have a relationship with Christ. We need to ask them. And we need to ask them in a clear way. They're not going to get upset with you. They've, you've shared so much together. You've had so much life with them together. Why not ask them at some point, hey, can I ask you, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And then, even if they say, oh, yeah, absolutely. I was like, so you believe that Jesus rose from the grave and that he was God in the flesh and that you've given him your life and, and he, you've made him your Lord and Savior? You've prayed, if you need to say, you've prayed that prayer, you'll probably be surprised. We'll say, well, I mean, I don't know about, you know, pray to prayer or anything, but, you know, I, be, I believe that there's a God out there and I believe he, you know, I believe he loves me and he, he wants me to go to heaven. <laughs> Let's talk. Will you be that person? Will you be that person? that lovingly and patiently talks with your friends and your families and your neighbors about who Christ is and what they must do to be saved. Where you share your story and help them connect those pieces that you've connected in your life and help them connect it in their life. That's where we start. But that's not where Paul finished. In fact, what we see over and over and over again is Paul. And we even see it in our passage today. If we go back to, you know, to verse 17 of Acts 17, as we we look at this passage, it says that he was reasoning in the synagogues with the Jews and the God fearing Gentiles. And then he would go to the marketplace every day with those who happen to be present. See, he started with the people that he had the most in common with, but he didn't limit himself to those people. He said, I'm going to talk to these people. I'm going to reach these people. I'm going to share Christ with these people. I'm going to reason with these people so that they might see that Jesus is the Christ. But then I'm also going to go to the everybody's of the world. I'm going to go to the place where I will encounter all kinds of people from all different ways of life, from all different places. The people who really, truly don't know a thing about Jesus or David or Moses or or Abraham or or God as, as creator of all things. I'm going to go to them, too, and I'm going to share Christ with them as well. We see Paul begin this in chapter 13 of the book of Acts. In fact, Acts 13, 46 reads this. It says, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. And they said, it is necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you, and he's talking to the Jews here, and he says, but since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And this began a process for Paul and for his people Throughout their gospel ministry, they said, we will start with the Jews. We will go into the synagogues. We will reason with them. We will connect with the people that we have the most in common with. But we will not limit, it, our, limit ourselves to this group. Instead, we will go to the Gentiles also. We will go to all the people and proclaim the gospel to all people. I love how, it, how it's worded in, in Acts 17, 17 at the end. He says they go to the marketplace every day to those who just happen to be present. There was, no, there was no trying to sniper shoot the gospel at people. There was no desire to really to fence off the gospel to just the people that were going to be the most receptive, to be the most likely to receive it. They said we would go to the marketplace and we would share Christ with whoever showed up. And that is a great mindset when we begin to think about this. This covered everybody. If we remember for a moment of where Paul was, we remember that he was in Athens. And Athens was a major city and a hub of all sorts of comings and goings. Undoubtedly, as we see that he began with the synagogue and and dealing with the Jews, there was not only a a significant Jewish population... Including God-fearing Gentiles who had bought into the, the Old Testament and the Torah and, and all that stuff. And he was ministering to them. But Athens would have been full of all kinds of other people. You would have found in here a huge number of Greeks, Athenians, people who identified as Greek even before the Roman Empire. And really all sorts of people that lived within the Roman Empire and would go through Athens as they traded, as they found work, as they were soldiers put into commission. All sorts of people would be found within the city of Athens. To even get an idea of what that might mean what that might mean for us today, think of a place like either London... Or New York City. When you go into any one of these cities, these are called global cities. And they're called global cities because even though when you go into a place like New York, there's no such thing as just a New Yorker. There are all kinds of different people. Chris and I had the opportunity about five years ago to go to New York City. It was the very first time I've ever been in a city that big. It was amazing. And what I noticed was when we got off the airplane we left the airport and we got onto the subway and as we began to ride in the subway we were in queens new york we went seven stops before i heard someone speak english think about that for a second a midwestern american and a southerner not just a southerner a magnolia boy that says something (laughs) hopped on a train in the United States, in one of the biggest, most famous cities in the United States, and we went seven stops before we heard someone speak English. We heard Spanish. We heard some sort of Eastern European Slavic language that I I don't know. Seven stops before someone was speaking English around us. This is true in New York. This is true in London. And this was who Paul was engaging He was engaging people from all walks of life. From quite literally at that time, from all over the globe. And he was going and he was sharing Christ with them. Now you may not realize that, but even in little old Elizabethtown and little old Hardin County, we do have people from all walks of life. Some people have moved here from the city. Some people have been stationed here because of the military. We have people from the South, the Midwest, the North, Korea, Japan, German, Mexico. There's people from all over the world, even here. And a lot of them, even though they're here in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, they have no access to the gospel. Because there's no one willing to step out of their comfort zone in order to share Christ with them. Here, among these people, Paul did not have much of a shared experience. They did not share a a similar history, life choices, home language, native tongue. In fact, the only thing that Paul really had going for him as he began to proclaim the gospel within the marketplace was the shared business language of the time, which was Greek. Much like us today, where most people have some working knowledge of English... Even if English is not what they speak in their home. The question may be, how do we share Christ with people with which we do not have much in common? How do we do it? How do we go to the stranger? How do we go to the coworker? How do we go to the person that we just encounter on the streets or in the restaurants and we share Christ with them? Well, the answer is found in the preceding chapter or the preceding rest of the chapter that we see Paul say. In fact, I just want to read to you right now what he says beginning in chapter 20 verse 22. It says, so Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one more... or He made from... One man, every nation of mankind, to live in all the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are his children, being then the children of God, We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed from art by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world with righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, I want you to notice some very key things about what Paul says in the midst of this passage. There are a few very important details that, that he says in this passage. First, he, he begins by, by almost paying them a compliment. He says, I see that you guys are very religious. Now, he doesn't say this as a way of condemning them. He doesn't say this as a way of making them feel bad about themselves. This is not something that he says in order to immediately jump them on the offensive. In fact, he just says this as, hey, I've observed that you're a very religious people. Now, think about that statement when you go back to verse 16, where it says that his spirit was being provoked. He was in deep distress within him because he was observing how the city was full of idols. So he saw something that he knew was not good. This is a people, this is a city that is filled with idolatry, filled with bad things. And he has a concern and he's burdened for this. But then when he goes to the people, he says, you know, I've noticed that you're a very religious people. He doesn't take this as an opportunity to accuse and condemn, but he takes it as an opportunity to what I like to call build a bridge. He says, listen, I'm seeing your I see your religiousness. In fact, I noticed one thing that was particularly interesting about all of the 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 gods and all of the things around you is you have one, one such idol, one such altar that you say to an unknown God. Now, if we if you know anything about Greek or Roman mythology, you know that they had a lot of those things. They had a lot of gods, and there was big famous ones that we know about like Zeus, Jupiter, and and Aries, Mars, and all that type of stuff. But they had dozens and dozens, maybe scores more. And it was probably pretty hard to keep track of those, and their concern was that what if we missed one? And so their mindset was, well, let's make an altar to whatever gods we haven't met yet. Well, that's good pragmatic sense, I guess. But what Paul does is he says I see I see that you have this one altar to a god that you don't know and I've I got some good news for you because the god that you don't know the god that you're still looking for I know him and I want to share him with you today That's a bridge that's a bridge where he takes something that is already present in their culture, something that they already acknowledge and they're comfortable with. He's already put their guards down and he says, let me tell you what this thing is that you don't know. And so he begins to build this bridge into their world so that he might share Christ with them. It goes on. If we look at verse 28, he says for he quotes one of their poets In verse 28, he says, even some of your own poets have said, for we are his children. He goes into their own culture and their own poetry to say, look at the things that your own people, that your own culture, that your own poetry, that your own your own worldview has said that hints and gives us clues that you are looking for. You are groping for the one who made you. Even if you haven't found it yet. Reality is, guys, is we can do this too. We are surrounded by people that are a lot like us. And we need to share Christ with the people that are a lot like us. But we are also surrounded by a lot of people that are not like us. You may have grown up and your entire life. You have lived in a home. You have been somewhere around the middle class. Maybe on the lower end of the middle class, maybe on the upper end of the middle class. You've grown up generally in this area. There's always been food on the table. Your mom and dad always lived together. The bills always seem to get paid. The electricity has always seemed to be on. But guess what? There are people around you, even here in Hardin County, that did not grow up that way. And maybe they never know what it was like to have both their mom and their dad in the house at the same time. Maybe they never knew what it was like to, to, to not have to worry about what or if they were going to eat that night. In fact, there are people that we are surrounding ourselves with, the only meal that they could consistently count on came from the lunch line at their school. They've lived their life with people coming and going. It was not strange for them to wake up and not have electricity or power or water, excuse me. They moved constantly and quickly. And they've lived a very different life than you have. But they still need to hear about Jesus. And you still may be the person that God's put in their life to share it with them. And God is creating, and God already knows what those bridges are that you can build into their life to tell them about Jesus. And maybe they're someone that you see regularly at your work. Maybe they are someone that is, that is checking out your groceries at the grocery store or waiting on your table as you go to the restaurant. Or maybe they're just somebody that you see out and about, and, and, and they're overwhelmed and, and maybe have a ton of kids around them that they're trying to herd to whatever they're trying to do. And, and you are the one. That God is, is, is creating a pathway for to speak hope and truth and the gospel into their lives. Maybe they've moved to Hardin County, Kentucky, but their first language is Korean or Russian or Spanish, and their ability to communicate is somewhat limited, but man, they could use a friend. And somebody who is more familiar with the language who will advocate on their behalf. Every year, we do evangelism training in the month of August. This year, we did the gospel to every home and and really focused in on doing evangelism during that month. But throughout the last three or four years, we have taken the month of August and we've really focused on learning how and having as many tools in our tool belt to share Christ with people. And what I hear every year, and it's not from the same people. What I hear every year is somebody looks at me as we're talking about who are those people that you can go share Christ with. And I hear the same line, I don't really have any lost friends. And I believe it. There's not a, a, a bone in my body that thinks that those people are not being truthful with me. I believe it. You spend years and years and years growing up in the church and making friends with other people who go to other churches and, and maybe go to this church and that church throughout your lifetime and make friends in all those churches. And when you look at your phone book on your phone or when you look at your, your address book on, next to your phone at home, you look and most of the people there, not only do you know, have a relationship with Christ, but are probably active in a church somewhere. I believe you. But that doesn't give you a pass on the Great Commission. It doesn't mean that you look and you say, Hey, wow, look, all my friends are Christians. I guess I'm done. I wouldn't say that, by the way. Because I don't think you want the Lord. Well, maybe you do. I don't think you want the Lord saying, Yeah, sure, you're done. <laughs> what that does mean is that we need to open our eyes and we need to become alert about the lostness that is around us and start to learn how we can build bridges, not, not in, the, not in the, the theoretical do a Bible study on building bridges to the gospel, but actually looking at people in your life and saying, what has God placed in our relationship, no matter how big or how little it might be, that I can use to share Christ with this person? What is that springboard? What is that bridge that I can build so that this person might know Christ? Maybe you have a burden for not just an individual, though that's good, but maybe for an entire group of people that you see and recognize right here in Hardin County, and you say, what do I need to do to insert myself into their world, not drag them kicking and screaming into mine, but insert myself into their world so that they might hear Christ through me. Again, pointing at verse 16. It says that while Paul was waiting in Athens, and he saw all the idols, that he was deeply grieved, that he was being provoked within himself as he saw it. Who in your life, whether an individual or a group of people, has God burdened your heart for? And brothers and sisters, what are we going to do about? God is calling us when we talk about the Great Commission to notice people. To ask questions so that we can learn who they are. Not who the political talking heads tell us they are. Not who our own prejudices and stereotypes tell us they are. But ask them questions to know who they actually are. To learn their values. To learn what is important to them. To learn the flow of their life so that we might Share the good news of Christ with them. And take what they already hold as true or important and leverage that for the gospel. Not so that they can be like us. But so they might know Jesus Christ. Who has saved them from their sin. We read this last week, but I think it's fitting here today as well. Colossians chapter 4 verse 6 says this, Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you will respond to each person. Brothers and sisters, that is still the example that we're seeing set by Paul. He didn't go in there and say, you guys are a perverse and idolatrous person. And if you don't accept Christ right now, I hope he strikes this place down with lightning. He says, hey, I see you're religious. I also see that you're fully aware that you might have missed something. Let me show you what you missed. We can do this. We need to do this because there's people that need to hear. One last thing I want you to notice from our passage today, and it's tucked in there a little bit. You really have to look at, at almost the entire ministry uh, of Paul to recognize this. And, and what I want to start off with is we we look at this, and kind of the last thing that Paul does is, you know, when Paul shares Christ with people, they respond. They're going to give a response to what he is saying. And guys, I want you to understand this. When we tell people about Jesus, we should ask them to respond to what we're saying. We should at the very least say, what do you think about that? Have you ever heard anything like this before? Does this make sense to you? Is there any questions that you might have? Is there any reason why? you would not put your faith and trust in Christ. We need to call for a response, and Paul consistently called for a response, and and what we see throughout the Bible is consistently three responses. The first response we see in the passage, in fact, we see it multiple times as Paul is sharing his faith. In verse 18, we see that the the Epicureans and and the the philosophers that are talking with him, they call him a, a babbler. What is this babble? That this guy is spewing out. Going on as we look to the very end of the passage in verse 32. It says that when they heard about the resurrection of the the dead, they began to sneer. They were sneering and making fun of him. This is kind of what we would call that red light response. They heard the gospel and they said, get that stuff away from me. That's stupid. That's silly. I don't want anything to do with that. Get that out of here. And he took it. But that wasn't the only response that he got. In fact, again, in verse 19, we see that they invite him to come to the area of he says, hey, we want to hear more about this. Come here. Even again, in, in, verse, uh, in verse 32, in the second part of it, it says that there are some that say, hey, we want to hear you again. Come back. We call this a yellow light response. So There's people that say, that's very interesting. I'm very interested in what you're saying. I'm not ready to, to believe this, but I'm interested in hearing more. About a month ago, I got the opportunity to go and, and, and share Christ at the ECTC campus. And we're using a spiritual survey, and we use that spiritual survey to, to get to a gospel presentation. And we were presenting the gospel, and I will tell you, the vast majority of the people that I talked to, the vast majority of them had a yellow light response. I would tell them things, and I would share Christ with them, and I'd say, What do you think about that? And they'd go, That's interesting. I'm very, and what one guy who was raised his whole life as an atheist said, I am very interested in what you are telling me because I've never heard this before. And he said, I'm not ready to give my life to Christ because he knew that that would come with a cost. He goes, but I definitely want to hear more. I think you will be shocked as you begin to share Christ with people. How many people say, this is really interesting. I've never heard this before, or I've never heard it this presented this way before, I want to hear more. <laughs> Stan, our missionary in Brazil, has, has told me on more than one occasion that, he, that the average person has to hear the gospel eight times before they're ready to receive it. And while I was standing on that campus, I was sharing Christ with people for the first time. So we can't be surprised by yellow light responses. In fact, those should encourage us to continue to work with and talk and invest in those people. Still, we had more. If we go to the very last verse in our passage, verse 34, it says this. It says, but some men joined him and believed. See, there's also a green light response where people hear the good news of the gospel and they believe and they come to know Christ please understand this even Paul had people reject him in fact he had setbacks after setback after setback but he kept going in fact if we just look at the very next chapter if you're in your Bible look at Luke 8 or excuse me Acts 18 verse 1 where it says this after these things he left Athens and then he went to Corinth this is just another check on his, on his work and on his ministry as we look to the scriptures. We know that he went to Corinth, that he shared Christ with Corinth, that, that, that there was a church in Corinth because he had to write letters to Corinth because Corinth was making some huge mistakes. But he kept going. In just chapter 17 alone, we see Paul go from Thessalonica off to Berea. From Berea, he goes to Athens, and then what we read in, verse, in chapter 18 is he leaves Athens on his way to Corinth. Every time Paul proclaimed the gospel, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, some believed, some rejected, and eventually he would have to leave that town because those who rejected him started causing trouble. Paul's ministry serves as a beautiful reminder that we can never view our great commission call as completed or put on hold. I want you to think about that for just a second. We cannot view our great commission call as ever being done or put on hold. We do not get to turn to the Lord and say, hey, God, I've done a lot of good stuff recently, so I'm going to focus on me for a while. We cannot look and, and, and God and say, hey, Lord, I know you're wanting me to share Christ and I know you want me to be a witness for you, but I got a lot of stuff going on right now. I've got a lot of transition in my life and, and, you know, the kids are growing up and I'm just going to set that aside for a while. And, and once, once everything kind of gets, gets back lined up and I'm, everything's going well, then I'll start serving you and living for the kingdom again. We don't get to do that. That's not what it means to be a faithful follower of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, what I have learned is that when we wait to serve the Lord until the next thing, there will always be a next thing. God, I know you want me to serve, but me and my wife are trying to have a kid, and we're just really focused on getting everything in order for that. God, I know you want me to serve, but we have a brand new baby. And man, that's just taking all of my energy and all of my sleep. And once, I get, once, the, once he or she gets a little bit older, then we'll start serving the Lord. God, I know you want me to serve you, but you know how two-year-olds are. This kid is crazy. Once he gets a little bit bigger, then I'll start serving the Lord. Lord, you know I want to serve you. But he's playing baseball now, and he's good. And he's going to play basketball in the fall. And we want to take some family trips. But don't worry, I'm going to serve you. Lord, I know you want me to serve you. But my kid's social life and high school and all that stuff is just really going crazy right now. And I'm just driving him from practice to practice and game and tournament and on and on. But once he goes to college, I'll serve you. God, I know you want me to serve you. But I've got to work some extra hours because I'm helping my kid get through college. But don't worry, when he graduates and he gets his own job, I'm going to serve you. God, I know you want me to serve you. But for the first time ever, me and my wife are empty nesters. And we just really want to enjoy life right now. But don't worry, when I get a little bit older and I know my retirement's all lined up, I'm going to serve you. Lord, I know you wanted me to serve you. But I just ran out of time. And I'm sorry I never got around to it. Brothers and sisters, no matter what Paul faced, whether he was well-fed or starving, whether he had a home or he had to sleep out on the road, whether he was cared for or shipwrecked, he never stopped serving. Don't wait. Don't put it on hold. We are not done. I don't care if you are 14 or 94. We are not done until we see a great multitude which no one can count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm trees are in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Why do we go And tell it on the mountain. Because that's where the people can hear us. Who in your life needs to hear the good news from you? Who needs to hear it from you today? Or this week? Or this Christmas season? Don't wait. You may never stop but give your heart to Christ and give them that same opportunity. As we close today, it would be rather hypocritical of me to not take a moment to share Christ with you. And when we present the gospel in this church, we usually do it with a uh, a screen and a picture, and we tested you guys last week and you guys got it with with flying colors so i'm not going to test you this week even if you're ready and the way we understand the gospel is this we believe that there is a god and that that god is the creator of heaven and earth and all things and we believe that god made all things and he made all things on purpose with a purpose that there is a design to everything we see that in creation We see that in ourselves and how how detailed we are made. We see it in Scripture. Genesis 1.1 says, for God created the heavens and the earth. And it says, going on into Genesis uh, chapter 2, it says that God beheld everything he made and it was good. In fact, it was very good. In fact, if we could just continue and do exactly what God had designed and purposed us to do, then we would be good too. But we don't. In fact, the Bible says that all of us end up going our own way and doing our own thing. We try to create our own purpose and our own design. And as you would in anything that you try to use, not the way it was intended, we sin against God. That's what it means to do your own thing and go your own way. And when we sin against God, we find ourselves in a place of brokenness. And the Bible communicates clearly that we are all broken, everyone in this room, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we can feel our brokenness in our hearts. We recognize in ourselves that, that we're not exactly what we ought to do, that we could be better, that we could do better, that we could make better decisions. And if you have ever felt that, like you aren't just where you ought to be, then, that's, then you've experienced brokenness. And we try a thousand things to hide and cover up and numb and fix our brokenness. But we recognize that no matter how much we do, no matter what we take to numb it, no matter how hard we work to hide it or to fix it or how we pass it on to our kids, that brokenness is, does not get fixed because we can't fix brokenness from brokenness. And the Bible says that we need something outside of our brokenness to deliver us from our brokenness. And we find that in the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came. In fact, it says that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, who is Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our sins, and that God raised him from the dead three days later. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. In order for us to be delivered from our brokenness through the gospel, we must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord. This means turning from our sin and turning towards God. And if we will believe and confess Jesus as Lord, it says the Bible says that we will begin to recover and pursue God's design for our life. This is the good news that we have for people. This is the good news that we offer to you freely today. And this is the good news that the world outside of here desperately needs to hear. And so our question for you today, first is, do you need to hear this today? And do you need to respond to the gospel today? And the second is, who in your life does need to hear it? And are you willing to share it with them? Let us pray together. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we thank you so much for your word, God, because we know your word is truth. God, we pray today that as we close our service today, if there is anyone here that needs to make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, Lord, that they will not walk out of here today without having surrendered their life to you. Father God, we recognize that each and every one of us have been put here on this planet right now and and in our life and in our our way of, of living for the purpose of having people come to know you. God, I pray that we will also leave here today with a burden for the loss that surround us. And God, that we will act on that burden today. That we will proclaim the good news of the gospel to those who are near us, to those who are far from us, and that we will never stop until you call us home. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.